Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening. Welcome to episode 000010 of the mission. My name is Daniel James. I'm your host through to 8 o'clock this evening. I'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional owners from which I am broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And as always, I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Well, the, uh, the doubters and the haters said that uh, we'd never make it. The mission has made it to double figures, so there. But seriously, I've received nothing but uh, generous support from within this magnificent radio station and from you, the audience, since the show became part of the grid a mere 10 weeks ago. I'm uh, humbled and uh, grateful. So um, thinking about the uh, first 10 weeks of this program, we've had some great guests from several different walks of life. The Victorian Treaty Advancement Commissioner, Jill Gallagher, was our very first guest all those weeks ago. Since then, we've had Uncle Bruce Pascoe, Richard Franklin, Reconciliation CEO, Diana David, Australia's first Aboriginal cardiologist, Luke Birchall, with Justin Muhammad, we've had the great uh, Natalie Crom, and um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they are the ones that have generously given their time and they make this show what it is. Um, so we'll continue on with the high-caliber guests for tonight's show. So tonight I will be joined on the line by Jira CEO Antoinette Braybrook. She'll join us from Geneva, where the United Nations Human Rights Council is meeting, and she's there informing the Commission uh, about a number of serious issues confronting Aboriginal women and children in this country. So we'll hear all about that shortly, if the, uh, if the lines work, fingers crossed. And uh, later in the hour I'll be joined by... The Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner, June Oscar Ayo. I should say Dr June Oscar Ayo. I'll be speaking to June about a recently released guide by the Human Rights Commission, a guide about how to conduct conversations about racism, how to broach the subject of racism is actually one of the biggest obstacles to actually addressing it. So I'm looking forward to speaking to her. She's recently returned from Geneva herself, so I'll um, ask her about that as well. And I guess while I'm here, I should um, also wish you happy NAIDOC week again, everybody. Uh, Victoria NAIDOC week might actually be over, but the National NAIDOC week continues on. And uh, there are a lot of actual, you know, national businesses and organisations based here in Melbourne. So I know a lot of people in those organisations and businesses are actually celebrating NAIDOC week this week. Victoria, we should just call it NAIDOC fortnight, really, shouldn't we? The longer the better, because I'm, um, you know, what's wrong with celebrating the culture of First Nations people? You know, our culture belongs to everyone and it's everyone's to celebrate and to use to reach their own lives, our families' lives, you know, our community's life. So speaking of which, um, I was uh, here on Sunday for the um, extended version of Still Here in the live performance space here at uh, Triple R World HQ. Uh, there were some great live performances from Alice Skye, she's talented, Kian Bumpy and William Al. 
So if you want to listen back on that, just go to the website, rrr.org.au, and, uh, you know, you should be able to find it easy enough. The best um, way to connect with me during the show is via my Twitter handle, at Mr. DT James. So, um, you know, stick around, won't you? Should be a good show. Melbourne's own Triple R. You're listening to The Mission, and now we come to our first guest. The uh, 41st session of the United Nations Human Rights Council is uh, currently meeting in Geneva. The Council is responsible for strengthening the promotion and protection of human rights around the globe and for addressing situations of human rights violations, and they make recommendations on how to address them. It has the ability to discuss thematic human rights issues and situations that require the intention throughout the year. So what better place for our next guest to be? Antoinette uh, Braybrook is the CEO of JIRA. JIRA is an Aboriginal community-controlled organisation which provides holistic, culturally safe and specialist legal and non-legal support to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who experience family violence, who are, of course, predominantly women. JIRA also designs and delivers uh, community-based early intervention and prevention programs and undertakes policy and law reform to work to improve access to justice, strengthen Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women's resilience and reduce their vulnerability to violence. And, of course, with women, 21, Aboriginal women, more, 21 more times more likely to be in prison than non-Aboriginal women, 32 more times more likely to be hospitalised because of family violence and 10 times more likely to die from violent assault than other women and 88% of Aboriginal children in out-of-home care are actually there because of family violence, why shouldn't the world hear about this sad state of affairs? Antoinette Braybrook is on the line from Geneva. Antoinette, welcome back to Triple R. Hey, Daniel, how are you? Good, good. How's the weather? It's um, last week it was, and the week before, it was a, a real heat wave over here and we were almost dying coming from cold Melbourne. But yeah. um, this week it's eased a little bit more. So, um, But uh, that's, uh, you know, one important aspect of what we're doing over here, sunbaking. Well, let me, let, let me ask you, <laughs> but, let me ask you, what, how, how did you find yourself at the 41st session of the UN Human Rights Commission in Geneva? Yeah, well, you know what, this is my very first time um, uh, coming to the UN in Geneva and I last year put in for a um, grant um, from DFAT to come um, under their civil society arm. So I'm not an Australian delegate, I'm civil society. Yep. And, um, And I was successful in that and that's part funded my way over here but, um, and JIRA has contributed to the rest, um, and we've, I should probably, while I'm on the line, give a shout-out to everyone who also contributed to our fundraising to make it possible for Mariki Onis to attend with me. Yeah, fantastic. Um, it's, yeah, it's been fantastic, so thank you to everyone who's done that. Um, but we've had... Um, uh, two weeks here so far and in that time we've made five interventions so yeah um, what, 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 what were some of the key areas. messages yeah sorry go on what, what were some of the yeah, key messages across, across all of those areas that you talked about um violence against women um and that you know our women aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women must be seen as a national priority um and you know there needs to be a greater investment into 
um, our specialist culturally safe family violence prevention and legal services nationally and a commitment to funding. Um, you know, funding has not been given to our services for um, six years. Mm-hmm. No increase in funding from this government for our services from the federal government. Um, and so that was one of the key messages. Another key message under that intervention was, um, you know, our call for a family violence target to hold governments accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, we also made an intervention under the um, uh, about the high incarceration rates of our people and especially our women. Um, and we called um, on our governments to stop building prisons and expanding them. Um, we we called for all um, Aboriginal women currently sitting on remand unsentenced to be freed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about how, you know, our women's um, human rights are just being violated in, in every area. Um, we, we also made an intervention under child protection, uh, sorry, under health and um, brought in the high removal rates of Aboriginal children. Um, from their families and especially from their mothers um, who are escaping family violence. We we pointed out about the punitive approaches taken by the system um, against our women. Um, You know, what we see in our work in family violence is that um, uh, the system is less likely to um, support, provide wraparound holistic support um, to mothers, um, they're very quick to take children away. And we want to see more of an investment into case management for, to support mums to keep their kids safe. I mean, it's probably, um, it's probably, and, it's probably, yep. j- sorry, yeah, we've got a bit of a lag here, but it's only a couple of seconds, but, um, you know, we'll manage. Um, it, it, well, I am in Geneva. Well, you are in Geneva. Yes, that's true. Very true. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it, would it be generous to say that we've actually got a system to deal with this stuff? Is it is it more like just a, a patchwork of programs here and there, and organisations like yours, you know, do a, a, an amazing job to try and piece those fragments together in some sort of systemic way? Yeah, look, the, that's the importance of having um, Aboriginal community-controlled organisations like Jira. Yeah. We have a holistic approach. No, we work, um, our work um, mostly focuses on Aboriginal women in Victoria um, and uh, with a real focus on family violence. But then, you know, there are so many other issues that come in with that child removal, um, incarceration of our women. Um, and, yeah, we're, you know, um, one woman one Aboriginal woman can be affected by multiple issues um, yeah. because of systemic failure. Yeah, we don't want... Um, um, but one of the... Sorry, go on. No, you're right. No, it's just, we, you know, one of, the, one of the tragedies about, you know, this, this area is that the, the amount of women that just fall through the cracks and, and, you know, don't get any service provision because, you know, it's not, a, not actually, a, you know, availed to them. That's one of the great tragedies unfolding no. in our community. Yeah, and um, and that's, again, one of the important reasons why we need to have um, specialist Aboriginal community-controlled organisations um, in family violence like JIRA because, yep. um, you know, women, uh, I say this often, our women um, often fear the system more than they fear their abuser. 
Mm. And we see the systemic failure, you know, the racism, the discrimination that our women face um, from um, a broad range of mainstream services. Um, and, yes, women do fall through those cracks. We have, um, you know, also women are not being referred uh, to um, our services, yeah. not just by mainstream either, by some of our... Um, Aboriginal organisations that really don't understand the importance of having like legal advice or legal representation when it comes to child protection. And it's, it's not only legal um, advice, it's legal advice that you guys are expert in around, you know, family violence matters and, and dealing with, with the various systems. So you're not just providing generalised advice, you're, you're providing specialised advice. Yeah, it is specialist legal advice that um, that Jira um, provides, but that's not all that we do. Yeah, um, it's you know it, that together with our um, uh, wraparound support, our early intervention prevention programs, our Koori Women's Place, it all works hand in hand. We were fortunate enough to receive some funding from the Victorian government for flexible support packages to support Aboriginal women. Um, and that's been life-changing for our women. Uh, but still, there's so much more that needs to be done. Um, so we're, we're making a bit of noise over here. And I hope <laughs> that... Um, <laughs> I hope that governments do listen. Well, um, well what's, what's, what's the reception been like over there? Because, yeah, I can imagine um, um, you two in particular would be generating a fair bit of noise. Yeah, we are. <laughs> um, look, the reception's great. Like, you know, uh, we've had a bit of a quiet week this week because all of our interventions are done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that we're still, you know, making sure that we're flooding social media and having conversations with different ones. So, um, but one thing that I just um, wanted to uh, uh, say, Daniel, is that one of our biggest calls here is um, for the federal government to abolish the Parents Next yeah. Social Security program, and so yeah, can, um, yeah. Can you explain uh, what Parents Next is and, and why it should be scrapped? Yeah, look, Parents Next um, puts a whole lot of um, conditions on parents um, to to keep their payments, and essentially, it's. Um, uh, mums, women and single mothers mostly that are being targeted and um, and you know in our work nationally we see um, how punitive that that program is um, it, it, it's so it, it requires women to attend appointments or services mm-hmm. um, and there's no very little negotiation around the times that they can attend those appointments or services, and often it um, clashes with pick, school pickup times, um, or it, um, it, you know, um, clashes with daycare times, or and, and other family commitments. Um, so what we see is um, a number of women whose payments are suspended mm-hmm. um, because they're unable to make it to those appointments. And I'm not sure if you would have seen um, in the um, uh, media recently about a, a, a mother who took on um, eight of her sister's children who... Her sister was murdered as yes. a result of family violence. Yes, I did, um, I did see that. So she, 
Yeah, her payments have been suspended suspended since January. And um, essentially now for her to be able to get back onto those payments, she's got to fill out um, statutory declarations um, and get people to, you know, say that she's, her circumstances haven't changed. Now, she, she spoke to me and told me all of these um, terrible things that happened to her with, um, you know, um, they, they'd set appointment times that were miles away from where she lived. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd get lost in the car. She'd get there 15 minutes late. She'd be told to sit in the waiting room, but then she'd be looking at her watch going, oh, gee, I have to get back to pick up the kids the other kids now. So she has to um, she has to deal with she, all this paperwork and, and all this rigmarole while raising eight children. And yeah. she, she's she's basically being, you know, treated like she's on bail, recently. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's supposed to be helping, um, but instead it's pushing um, our women deeper and deeper into poverty. And one thing that we've said very loud and clear here is, you know, poverty is not an individual choice. It's a result of systemic failure. Mm-hmm. It's a political choice. Um, you know, wealth is um, wealth is privilege, a privilege, and um, and that's often not afforded to Aboriginal women. No, it's... Um it is, and it's 25 past seven. You're listening to Triple R. This is The Mission. My name's Daniel. I'm speaking with uh, JIRA CEO, Antoinette Braybrook, who's in Geneva. So you've, you've, you've pretty much presented, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you've presented pretty much all you wanted to present to the Human Rights Commission. Um, um, so what, what happens from here? Yeah, well, that's um, we met with the deputy ambassador yesterday and asked the exact same question, and she said, "Look, you know, um, things move slowly at the UN." Mm-hmm. Yeah, renowned <laughs> but, for it. You know, rest assured that you know your statements are on the record, um, and as we understand it, they're going back to you know the responsible um, department, um, and. Uh, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm making my own moves. I've already got all of my meetings locked in for when I get back um, around the, you know, uh, 25th of July to head to Canberra to have more conversations with the politicians. So at the very, at the very least, this, this process over there is giving you a big stick for when you get back? Well, I hope so. I, <laughs> I do hope so. I've, like I said, I've never been here. Um, so I don't know whether I'll be allowed back in the country, but <laughs> <laughs> leave it, leave, leave it with me. I'll uh, make some calls. Um... Would you? <laughs> but uh, what I know is, um, you know, these these calls that we've been making over here, these statements that we've been making here across all of those areas that our people nationally are affected by. Um, this is not new, you know. No. Uh, We've not just come here and made this up. These are calls that we've been making for years and years and years, and even calls that have been made long before my time of being here. So, yeah, progress. Unfortunately, you know, in this space and in a lot of spaces across Aboriginal affairs, is is glacial and it is frustrating. But with um, with advocates like you, you know. Uh, pushing the boundaries and, and, and pushing the cause, you know, we've got to remain hopeful that um, things will eventually speed up and we'll see some significant change. Yeah, 
Yeah, and um, the other um, intervention that uh, we made was, and Mariki presented this one on uh, self-determination and treaties. Mm-hmm. And um, and if you have a look online, she, that's kind of gone viral. Her intervention, so that's been great. Um, yeah, if you want to, if you actually great. want to see um, Mariki's and Antoinette's um, presentations to the Human Rights Council, you can actually go to um, jira.org.au. And um, just follow some links there and you'll see them. They're online, so they're viewable um, and they are powerful. And also, while you're at Jira, why not, um, you know, donate some money to um, support an organisation that does a tremendous amount of good work on a shoestring budget? Well, we're going to be um, looking to head to New York next year to the Commission of the Status of Women. Right. (laughs) We'll be looking to raise funds to get there as well. Um, It's... It's uh, um, been a, a quite an experience here, um, but, you know, it's something that um, I guess needs, we need to keep at. Well, yeah, like um, I said, we, need, we, yeah. need, we need the world to hear the plight of some of our people and, you know, particularly some of our most disadvantaged Aboriginal women and, and, and children um, because a lot of the time it seems to fall on deaf ears here. So one way to you know, affect change in Australia is to appeal to its cultural cringe and uh, let the world know. And then, you know, more often than not, you do see governments, both state and federal, you know, jump across the line and, and actually start doing something. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, are we about to sign off? Because I want to say a big cheerio to my mum. Yeah, go on. I'll give you five seconds. No, no you got... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. Okay, yeah, five, five. probably need longer than that, but I won't take up any more time than that. Um, so I just want to um, send a big kiss and hug to my mum and my um, dad. Um, my dad's looking after my dog, Lizzie, and my brother, Sean, and all of um, his kids and partner at my place um taking care of Lizzie as well so sending big love out to everyone and all of our crew back at Jira who will be listening in now I'll talk to you as my time 5 30 tomorrow morning <laughs> have you finished you're taking a valuable time yeah, here <laughs> Sorry. hello to Wanda hello to Lizzie hello to Sean hello to everyone um your, your daughters <laughs> and your, your sister and your owner is uh, doing you all proud Antoinette Braybrook, thank you very much for coming on the mission. Good luck with the rest of it. Thank you very much, Daniel. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Um, so now it's time for our next guest. So now, believe it or not, friends, uh, racism still exists here in the lucky country. Racism is an ongoing problem in Australia. It directly affects significant numbers of Australians. In annual surveys, about one in five Australians report having experienced racial discrimination during the uh, past 12 months. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and certain migrant communities such as African Australians are more likely, much more likely to experience racism than other people. And so the uh, Australian Human Rights Commission has developed a guide to assist Australian organisations in conducting meaningful and productive conversations about racism. The guide is designed to support 
the start of a conversation about racism in various organisations. Having a uh, prov- provocative, open discussion about racism demonstrates a commitment to actually tackling racism when it occurs and preventing it from occurring in the future. And so our next guest, Dr June Oscar AO, is a proud Benumba woman from the remote town of Fitzroy Crossing in Western Australia's Kimberley region. She's a long-time and very strong advocate for Indigenous Australian languages, social justice, women's issues, and has worked tirelessly to reduce fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, which is a, um, a disorder that um, affects far too many of our people. In February 2017, she was awarded an honorary doctorate from Edith Cowan University and in 2018 was awarded NADOC Person of the Year. Um, and in 2017, June began her five-year term as the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner. She herself was recently in Geneva and uh, Dr June Oscar, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to Triple R. Uh, thank you very much, and it's uh, nice to join you, Daniel, uh, from my hometown in Fitzroy Crossing. Wow, we've, uh, I've just gotten off um, the, the line to um, Antoinette Braybrook in Geneva, and um, somehow somehow Fitzroy, Fitzroy Crossing seems further away <laughs> than Geneva from where I'm sitting in Melbourne. All right, yeah, but, um, <laughs> that is uh, one of the... the unique things about this country of ours. We can be in freezing cold Canberra one day and then up in the beautiful, um, you know, mid-year weather um, of the Kimberley. So, so before, we, before we talk uh, about the guide, um, you know, for those, for those of us who don't know, could you give us a, an overview of your role um, as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner? Yes, for sure. Um, well, the role has been around for uh, 20 years or longer. I'm the first Aboriginal woman in the role, and um, it's, it's a great honour and a privilege to, um, to occupy the position. And our role as the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner is to monitor uh, human rights and to inform community of um, people's rights and how to exercise those rights and um, to be able to have access to uh, the Australian Human Rights Commission. And our role is also to provide governments with guidance around um, human rights and non-discrimination and to um, you know, ensure that governments are... Uh, respecting and and observing and adhering to uh, everyone's uh, rights in this country. And how do you think we're going in terms of progress along those lines? Do you think we think we're um, making some progress, do you, or do you feel like things have stagnated? Well, look, we come from a history, particularly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of um, having no rights in our own country mm. and where our human rights have been violated from from the very beginning of um, European settlement of Australia and, um, you know, to the 1967 referendum when we were considered as part of the human population of Australia. So we have a terrible history on human rights and the violations of human rights with 
Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. I'd like to think that we are we have made some huge progress and that we uh, continue to uh, respect and observe and ensure people's rights are protected in our country. So, and of course, a lot of those human rights violations have, have their genesis in, in racism. And so um, that brings me to the guide. Congratulations on the guide. Um, clearly a lot of work has, has got into it. So um, who would you say that the primary audiences are for the guide? Well, I think the um, audiences are many and, um, you know, they can be local communities and organisations and uh, people um, interacting uh, with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and it can be for governments, it can be for corporates, so it's relevant to all types of situations where we have a responsibility as Australians to combat racism and to not tolerate racism and discrimination towards anyone in Australia today. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, one of the one of the great um, hurdles that um, have to be overcome to actually address racism is to work out how to have those frank and and fearless conversations. And and this guide, um, you know, in detail addresses approaches as to um, how go how, how to go about that. Yes, it does, and I think it's a very useful guide for um, all types of people operating in different settings to have the confidence to have these courageous conversations and to set in place ways of working where there's zero tolerance around discrimination towards anyone. It's uh, 13 to 8 on Tuesday. We're listening to the Mission on Triple R. I'm speaking with Dr June Oscar A.O., the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner, about a guide that the Human Rights Commission has just released called Let's Talk Race, a guide on how to conduct a conversation about racism. One of the things I liked about um, uh, about the guide is that it did provide some statistics that says, you know, that suggest it's not all, uh, you know, doom and gloom out there in terms of attitude. So, you know, 77% of people surveyed supported anti-racism initiatives and the need to challenge racism. 80, 86% of those served a, also supported the need to reduce um, or fight racism in Australia. I guess the trick is, um, June, that, uh, you know, that, that 14 or 16% that don't think racism is a problem or doesn't need to be fought um, can be very loud and can um, cause a lot of issues that um, stress you know, Aboriginal and other vulnerable groups like the um, Australian African community as well. That's right. And I think um, the onus is on all of us to um, point out where um, behaviours and um, where there's acts of um, discrimination uh, occurring and to expose those that are continuing to um, go about their lives discriminating against others it is just not to be tolerated in australia and we we meaning all of us need to expose those that are continuing to behave towards other australians in a discriminatory manner now on and on that front you've just returned from geneva where you attended the um, human rights council session and you um like others talked about the over incarceration of indigenous women 
um, violence against women and you also delivered a statement about the impact of climate change on women, particularly relating to Torres Strait Islander women. Could you tell us um, about the effects of climate change on, on those particular communities? Yes, certainly. Um, And I particularly mentioned the island of Saibai, which is um, the furthest island um, of the um, Torres Strait, which is uh, seven minutes in a boat from the coast of Papua New Guinea. Mm. The community there um, have had recently a new seawall built along um, the coastline facing uh, PNG, And women there have raised with me their concerns about what that means with continuing rising sea levels, the relocation of people, the leaving of community and those that are buried there, their connections to place is something that's um, of grave concern to the um, community members living on Saibai. So uh, the UN focuses on the role of women in, in climate change, and I think this is an opportunity for the visiting UN committee to um, visit remote communities like Saibai and other islands in the Torres Strait to hear of the concerns uh, of, of uh, people occupying the various islands that are being impacted by climate change. Rising sea levels is one, but um, food sources and the impact on the ecology and, you know, the nourishment that people rely on to sustain themselves on these islands, and as well as uh, the mainland, Australia, Indigenous knowledge of um, plants and environments and waterways. Uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are witnessing changes to the climate and its impact on environments and the ecology on mainland Australia as well. Yeah, it's something that I, I guess mainstream Australia wouldn't really think about at all. This is, you know, I think people, you know, are obviously well aware of climate change and whether they believe it or not. But I don't think people, I don't think it's registered on people's radar yet that, you know, climate change is happening now and it's, it's actually affecting, you know, First Nations people before anyone else, especially up there in, um, you know, some of those some of those islands in the Torres Strait. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, th- there's um, many people who aren't familiar um, with the Torres Straits and because it is so far away and often their issues are out of sight, out of mind, but they're very real issues and it's affecting Australian people who are living on the islands in the Torres Strait. Yeah, these, 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 these are your fellow Australians, you know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, um, and the acknowledgement that Aboriginal people have, you know, over 65,000 years of knowledge of um, environments on the mainland. And I think we're just now recognising the uh, knowledge that Aboriginal people have and we're incorporating those knowledge systems into ways of working that, that I'm certainly seeing right across the country with ranger groups mm. and the uh, engagement of more uh, Aboriginal women in, in the ranger program. And I hope the Australian government continues to invest in a strength-based program 
where Aboriginal people come to those spaces from real strength, uh, knowledge of the environment, and they know how to address that with the support of, um, you know, best practice uh, modern science. I think, um, I think, of course, of course, you're absolutely right. There is so much knowledge out there within, you know, pockets of various communities within with Indigenous communities across the country. Um, I think just we as a country, we need to embrace it, accept it for what it is, and um, you know, um, just think along the lines that that knowledge will enrich all our lives. We're not losing anything by, you know, learning from from First Nations people. Um, That's right, and we didn't get to be the you know, oldest continuous civilization on the planet by accident. Well, it'd be a hell of a fluke, wouldn't it? 60,000 years. <laughs> um, That's right. I've been speaking with um, uh, Dr. June Oscar, the um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Science Social Justice Commissioner. Um, thanks so much for your time, June. I know you're a very busy person. I know you're a very important person, but um, uh, we really appreciate you coming on our little radio show here on Triple R. If people want to access the guide um let's talk race a guide on how to conduct a conversation about racism um probably the best way to go about it is to go to um www.apo.org.au that's where i found it and um it's pretty prominent there so um if you or your organization wants to avail yourself of that report i suggest you go there dr june oscar thank you so much for your time thank you daniel good evening to you good evening Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.